Hey, welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. This fall, we are rejoining and concluding our series in the Gospel of Mark, where we're learning the way of Jesus together. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I brought my glasses today, so that's also good for you. Uh, as we've been practicing the last couple months, uh, we are receiving God's word by standing just as a way to show him honor and thanksgiving for the word that he's given us. So Damaris is going to read today's scripture for us. A reading from Mark chapter 12. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect at the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, for they all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was in college, uh, we had a group of friends. We did lots of things together, including going on different trips. And I realized by my sophomore year that I started to like one of the girls in this group. Her name was Peggy. But I don't think she paid any attention to me uh, whatsoever, so I figured it was time for me to try to impress her. And so I knew Peggy really liked kids, and so this whole group of us, we went on this trip uh, to Colorado. We were coming back on the airplane, and there was this young boy sitting right in front of me who was interested in me. And I'm like, this is my chance. And so I started playing with this boy. I started interacting with this boy. One of my eyes was to my right all the time to see if Peggy uh, was watching. And uh, we just celebrated 24 years of marriage uh, this past year. So, yeah. Now, I got to say, I love kids. But my motives in that case were probably not entirely pure. And friends, today, if you're just joining us, we're continuing a series we've been doing off and on for the last couple of years in the Gospel of Mark. We call this series, The Way of Jesus. And if you like to use message notes, if you're following there, here's the sentence we've been saying. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus, learning to live the way of Jesus in our own lives. In other words, if you call yourself a disciple or a follower of Jesus, The idea is to learn how to live his life with the personality, the the gifts that God has given you. And so we're studying Jesus to help us do that. And last week, if you weren't here, we were in this great section. We've been in this section in Mark 12 where these religious leaders are asking Jesus all kinds of questions, trying to trap him. And one guy comes up to him, not trying to trap him this time, but he asked Jesus this great question. What's the greatest commandment? And some of you were here, you remember how Jesus replied to this in Mark 12, 29 and 30? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema. And he says, listen, there's nothing more important than loving the Lord. We talked about love being an action. So loving the Lord with everything you have. But then he throws in a little surprise here. He adds another one from Leviticus where he says in Mark 12, 31, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater, what, commandment. He singularizes these two things than these. Loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength will naturally lead to a love for others. And today, we're going to come to a section, you heard it read already, where Jesus is going to unpack the motives that someone might have for living out those verses, for loving the Lord, showing other people, perhaps, God's love as well. Now, I'm saying this because many people still today claim, in this country especially, that they are Christians. And they think that they do certain things that prove that to others, right? I'm loving God by doing these different things for him. But if you're following, you got to know something about Jesus. If you're on your notes, Jesus cares less about what we do for him than why we do it. We can all act like we love the Lord with our whole mind, soul, strength, and heart, right? We can act like that. We can show other people that we're doing that. We can love other people as well. But Jesus looks beyond what we're doing to why we're doing it. It's not just about actions outwardly, right? He looks at the motives. Now, Peggy could not see my motives on that airplane. But the Lord always sees our motives, He's always looking at our heart. He's always trying to figure out or understand why we're doing what we're doing. And he wants hearts that are fully devoted to him. And so if you haven't already, I invite you to take your Bible and turn it to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seat underneath you there. You're welcome to grab one of those. You can find this on page 825 of those black Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you as our gift to you today. Now, I got a couple emails this week. Some of you astute observers noticed that I didn't include verses 35 through 37 in the Bible study this week, but that's simply because I was trying to focus on what follows those verses, but don't worry. I am not going to skip them. So we'll start in verse 35, which says, While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? Again, he's still hanging out with all these religious leaders. They're coming to ask him questions, trying to trap him. They're from all different kinds of religious groups. And normally, they don't like each other. But they have one thing in common. They want Jesus gone. They do not like him. But unfortunately for them, none of the questions they asked him trapped him. In fact, they left dumbfounded with the brilliance of Jesus' answers. And so now it's Jesus' turn to ask them a question. And he doesn't ask just any question. He asks the most important question of the day. Who is the Messiah? The Christ the savior of the world, the one that the Jewish people were waiting for. And Jesus begins by saying something they could all agree on, that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. 
He would be a son of David. That is a universally accepted belief in Israel's time. At that time, it's still a belief among Orthodox Jews today that the Messiah would be a human descendant of David. So far, so good. They're on the same page. But then Jesus asked this question by bringing his audience to Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. If you pick it up in verse 36, Jesus, quoting Psalm 110, says... David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then here's the question. David himself calls Messiah Lord. How then can he be his son? Do you see the brain teaser here? Do you like brain teasers? I I like brain teaser. Here's the brain teaser here. How could the Messiah both be David's son, but also be his Lord, what father would call his son or great-grandson even Lord? I would never think of calling our son Will my Lord, though I do make him call me that at home. (laughs) Now, here's another brain teaser for us today. This is a popular one. Two fathers, two sons go fishing. By the end of the day, they each caught a fish for a total of three. How is that possible? The father is both a father and a son. Now, I know the rest of you, most of you are going to be thinking about that the rest of the day. But do you hear the teaser Jesus is getting at? How can the Messiah both be David's descendant, a human descendant, and also be referred to as Lord, as God? That is what David calls him. And the answer, of course, is that Jesus is here. I'm here right in front of you. I am a descendant of David. We read about his lineage in Mary's line. He is a descendant of David, and he's also God in the flesh, something that they simply could not agree to. But we're told at the end of this section, the large crowd listened to him with delight. And now the scene shifts, and here's where I'm focusing, right? Jesus picks up this idea of how do we love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's going to contrast two different ways that people go about doing this. First, people who do it with the wrong motive, and then people who do it with the right motive. So let's pick it up there, starting in verse 38. Let's read it out loud together, 38 and 39. I'll start. It says, as he taught, Jesus said, ready? Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. And then verse 40 says, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Friends, if you're following, here Jesus warns about being devoted, right? Devoted to the Lord with the wrong motives. These guys were devoted. These teachers of the law. I mean, these were the super religious people of the day. These were the people that we would think as common people are knocking it out of the park when it comes to loving the Lord with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus sees something different. He can see past the activities that they're actually doing and sees the motives for why they're doing it. And as I said in the beginning, if you take nothing else, Jesus cares a lot more about why we're doing what we're doing than what we're actually 
doing. And in this passage, I see four motives that these guys have for their so-called devotion of loving the Lord. Let's unpack these. First of all, they were motivated by a recognition from others. This is why they did the things they did. They wanted to be recognized by others. We see this in the very first part. They like to walk around in flowing robes. Now, the robes Jesus mentions here would have been extremely expensive and extravagant. They would have had beautiful tassels at the bottom. Everybody would have noticed them walking in these robes. In fact, interestingly, I found this out this week. It's the same word here. The robes here are used to describe what the angels wear. That's how beautiful these robes are. It'd be like me wearing a $5,000 suit on Sundays to be recognized by you. And Jesus' point here is they're not interested in seeing the needs and the hurts of others, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the command. No, 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 no. They want others to see and admire them. That's their motive for looking religious towards others. Second motive we saw here is that they were motivated by being acknowledged of their status. They're not just walking around in fancy clothes, right? They expected to be, Jesus says, greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Now, there's an interesting cultural dynamic at work here in these words we don't understand. When the teachers of the law wearing their robes would come into a public place, it was expected that the lower person on the totem pole would first greet that person, and then the higher person could in turn greet them. And so they walk into these marketplaces in their fancy robes, and they want people to refer to them as master, father, rabbi. And only after somebody was, would do that would they recognize them and greet them in return. This is all about status. And all honestly, this can happen in ministry today as well, right? This grabbing for status. Now, on a totally different side note, I would just like for you now to refer to me as Reverend Dr. Patsia in public. And uh, don't expect me to reply to you until you do that or notice you until you do that, okay? Back to our text. I don't know where that came from. Oh. You want to come up and teach the rest? (laughs) This motivation of status goes on. They want the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. The most important seats in the synagogues would have been a bench at the very front, right next to the Ark of the Covenant, where they could in turn look very impressive towards others. And they could look down on us commoners, right? It was the best seat in the house. No back seats for these boys. Although, let's be honest, today in the church, the back rows are where it's the place to be. I see you all back there. It's always way more full in the back. You wait for those ropes to pull up. I I understand. But their motivation was to get the best seat in the house because they wanted to be seen. They insisted at banquets be seated near the host because that was where the best food would be delivered. Jesus talks about this attitude in Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That is the complete opposite of what these guys are trying to do. They want to be exalted, right? 
It reminds me of these signs. Maybe you've seen these at other churches before or whatever. I'm not, I don't want to dismiss any of this, but I just laugh when I see something like this, right? Don't, don't take my spot. The one right in front of the church, right? This is the idea. I want to be exalted. I want to be known as someone. The third motivation they had, if you're following, is they were motivated by using the weak for their own gain. Jesus says they devour widows' houses. If you've ever, ever read any part of the Bible, you know that widows and the fatherless were the most vulnerable and defensive people of this day. And we're also told that we are commanded to take care of them as God's people. God also warns those who abuse them that he will avenge. He will avenge the widows and the fatherless, which is why Jesus says here, they're going to be punished most severely. They're taking advantage of the weakest people on the planet. They're using their position for their own gain. Can this ever happen? Their motto is, there is money to be made in ministry. Instead of loving the very people they should love, they're exploiting them in order for their own gain. Can this happen? Some of you might uh, remember this ad. Uh, I'm not going to name the pastor, but he guaranteed this thing called Miracle Spring Water. And you can get it free here if you give a $40 donation to their ministry. And the idea was, hey, you can buy this spring water and it'll heal whatever it is that you're going through. Now, you're not going to believe this, but it was actually a scam. (laughs) But listen, we can laugh. The problem is, who does that prey on? It preys on the desperate. It preys on the mom whose son has leukemia and she can find no other way out. It preys on someone who needs a miracle at all costs, and they've probably used up all their money on their hospital bills already. Exploiting the weak for their own gain. Jesus has no place for that. Finally, they were motivated by impressing others with their piety. He finishes by saying they could say long prayers in public. Yippity-doo. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying long prayers. But why were they praying long prayers in public? To impress people with their piety. They weren't doing any of these things because of their love for the Lord. They were doing them for love for themselves. And the desire to be recognized by how spiritual they are. It reminds me of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, right? They're seeing all these people selling all their land in order to support the early church. And they decide, well, we'll do the same thing, except we'll keep some of the money for ourselves. And they go and say, look at what we've done. Aren't you all impressed? But Peter knows that they're lying. The Lord knows that they're lying. He sees their deeper motives. Friends, these teachers of the law would be what we call today hypocrites, right? Somebody who says something on the outside, but inside they are a completely different kind of purpose. The Bible defines a hypocrite as someone who wears a mask, right? You see one thing, but underneath the mask, there is another thing. Sadly, this is one of the biggest complaints people have of the church today in the United States. The heart of hypocrisy is pride. And God is opposed to the proud. 
Pride is the self-deception we all have, that we've earned a certain position or we've earned certain power or we've earned certain benefits and we deserve them. That's exactly what these teachers of the law were doing. If you're following again on your notes, the scribe's motive was to amaze others for their own glory. Now, here's what's crazy. Nobody could see that. They can't see underneath, just like Peggy couldn't see my motive, right? They see people being really, really religious and spiritual, and so they get what they want. They are being amazed at by the common people of the day, except that they weren't amazing God because God can see underneath the mask. And friends, if we're honest, let's just pause here before we move on. Can you see yourself at all in these guys? Can you see yourself at all trying to put on a mask for others in order to impress them with your spirituality? We want people to think our marriages are perfect, right? We want them to think our kids are perfect. I mean, when we have family devotions at home, our kids are just like, teach us more, Father, right? (laughs) We never struggle financially. We come to church six Sundays a month. Read the Bible every day. I'll post it on Instagram too, my perfect cup of coffee with the Bible in my journal, right? We want people to be impressed with our spirituality. But the problem is if I find myself motivated with that, I am practicing empty religion. And Jesus wants nothing to do with religion. Jesus is about a relationship. Jesus is about a true motivation to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And friends, there's only one right motive when it comes to devoting ourselves fully to Jesus and his way. And Jesus now shifts the scene, starting in verse 41, to show us that. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, the temple treasury was located in the court of women, which was the outwardest court. That is where women were allowed, but they weren't allowed further in anywhere. It's also where children were allowed. And in this court, there would be 13 what were called shofar chests. They were basically these chests shaped like a trumpet. Imagine the trumpet end on the bottom. Here's what many people think they might have have looked like. Something like that is what they might have looked like in this temple. There were 13 of them in in this area, all for different offerings. Aren't you glad we live under grace today, right? Jesus finds a place to sit opposite of these chests, and he watches people come and bring their money, their coins in. And you can imagine the noise it would make with these wealthy people dropping these coins into this shofar, this trumpet-like thing, right? It would have been like, and everybody would go, oh, look at how much they gave to them. It would be obvious. Verse 42 But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, I wish we had more about this woman written here. We don't know her story, but my imagination says she probably came in alone. She didn't want anybody to see her or notice her. Being poor and a woman, she was the least of the least in the cultural context of the day. And we're told that the coins she gave here were called lepta. 
These were the smallest amount of coinage in Palestine of the day. Two of them equaled one sixty-fourth of a denarii, which is what somebody might be paid for a whole day of work. This is all she's got. It might be enough to buy a small meal from the 99-cent value menu at McDonald's, right? This is all she's got to give, and she gives it all. Now, she might as well have given nothing, because what that money's going to do for the temple is going to be minimal, right? It's not going to really help the upkeep of the temple there, which was what some of these offerings were for. So why even bother? Now, she didn't know Jesus was watching, but she did know that her Lord was watching, and that is why she bothered. That is why she came. If you're following here, the widow's sole motivation was to love the Lord. We've seen an example of religious people with the wrong motivation. She is a woman with the right motivation when it comes to loving the Lord with her whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. She is living out the Shema, right? Now, can you imagine the noise these two little hay pennies would have made in the trumpet? That's it. Nobody would have heard it. Nobody would have looked at her at this point. But to Jesus, it was the most beautiful sound of the day. I'm giving you everything I have, Lord. I'm sacrificing out of gratitude and out of love for you. Here, take my offering. Take my all. And now read verses 43 and 44 on your notes with me there. I have the New Living Translation there. It says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Jesus is like, guys, he brings it, right? The disciples are, guys, look at Look at all these rich people putting in large sums of money. They're giving a lot because they have a lot. It's no sacrifice to them. And no doubt the people of the crowds in the temple would have been impressed by the amount of money. But what about Jesus? Jesus says, guys, this woman's two haypennies means more to me than the largest gifts of the wealthy because they're simply giving out of their wealth already. She is giving from her poverty. She's giving everything she had. She's giving sacrificially here. It reminds me uh, back, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, but we used to have a pastor appreciation month and we would do this, uh, I I don't know, this little get together where all the pastors would be at a table and people would come and talk to them and offer them gifts. And we got some amazing gifts. It It was a wonderful blessing for us. But I remember every year, This woman would come in, she would put down a card, I'd get home, and inside of it was a $5 bill. But I knew her situation. And I knew that $5 bill was a tremendous sacrifice for her. And that gift meant more to me than any other gift. And it's the same thing here. When it comes to giving, any In fact, any spiritual activity, when it comes to praying, reading your Bible, whatever you want to say here, what matters is the posture of our hearts. That's it. It's not about how long you pray. It's not about how much of the Bible you read. It's about the posture of your heart, whether I'm coming to him to give myself fully to him, my whole heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. Listen, when I write a check to the IRS, the IRS could care less about my motive. They just want my money. But the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Lord loves when we approach him with a desire to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love what Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. This is all part of that love section. And he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, I'm going to be clear here. Jesus doesn't criticize large donors with this lesson. He's merely pointing out, yet again, the why matters more than the what. Why are we giving? Why are we praying? Why are we coming to church? Why are we in a life group? Is it to love the Lord with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or is it, that's what I'm supposed to do. Or other people are watching me. Or this is what God says I should do, so I guess I'll do it as a part of my religion. The widow gave out of her love. And if you're following, she is a model of true devotion. She gives God everything. And that's his challenge. It is in the entire gospel of Mark. Self-sacrifice every day, giving ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. The motive of the teachers was self-centered, trying to impress others. The motive of the widow was God-centered. And this is a woman who would live out the vision of our church, right? She is a woman of every generation. We don't know how old she was. I'm assuming because she's a widow, probably older, who is still devoting herself entirely to giving herself fully to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for you to impress him. He's not looking for you to run through religious hoops. He is simply looking for a heart full of love. Where do you fall on this right now? Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it out of love or are there some other motivations going on? Are you seeking to love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Ultimately, only you know that, and only the Lord knows that. Your spouse doesn't know. Your kids don't know. Your employers don't know. The people in your life group don't know, because none of us can see each other's motives, but the Lord knows. And if you're following, our motives reveal the true condition of our heart. The religious leaders looked very impressive on the outside. We can all do that. I can do that. I can impress you with my religiosity on the outside, but on the inside, they were dead. Jesus once called them whitewashed tombs, right? Brand new looking tombs on the outside, but inside, they're dead. But the widow, she looked worthless on the outside, but on the inside, she was alive. And that is the key lesson Jesus is teaching here. It's the same lesson God had to teach to Samuel in 1 Samuel, when he tells Samuel to go and anoint the next king, he'd be from the line of Jesse, and all these impressive sons come, right? And he's like, this got to be the one. He's tall and handsome. And they go down the list, and the Lord is like, nope, that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. I'm looking for someone whose heart is fully devoted to me. And we read these words. I got them on your notes there. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Here's what God says. 
The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so as we close and prepare for communion, uh, let's consider this question today, right? We always want to prepare for communion, to examine ourselves. This is a chance for us to examine our motives. So if you're following, what do my motives reveal about my heart for the Lord today? I encourage you to bow your head, put away your notes, whatever you need to do. There's nobody in this room to impress right now. It's just you and Jesus. Just asking the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? And if there's anything that you notice the Spirit reveals, remember it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So let him expose that to the light. Rededicate yourself, renew yourself today. Get rid of any pride or desire to impress others. And fix your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. The author and perfecter of your faith. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.